This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, we're going to get into the Word here in just a minute. Um, let's see here. Could I get, uh, Robert, can you come here real quick, brother? All right, I need you, sir. And I'm going to tag on for just a minute. Um, can you move this pulpit? <laughs> All right, it's going to throw me off. All right, Robert's going to move the pulpit for me. Thank you. All right, that's good. That's fine. Thank you. All right, very good. That's good. Thank you. So, yeah, on uh, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, I like to be more centered over here. So, um, so this, who was here this morning with us? All right. Amen. Good times. Good times. Well, I, um, I, I do have a sermon tonight that I'm getting ready to get into, but, um, we have the, the pre-sermon party that I want to do something real quick. I don't normally do this, but a couple thoughts came to me just, uh, just a minute ago that I want to tag on very, very, very quickly, uh, from this morning's sermon about sowing and reaping because, um, I was encouraged, uh, tonight to see some of you guys. Can you turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter six? Galatians six. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to get to the main sermon here, but tonight, because you guys were so wonderful to come out on a night when so many people are doing other things, you know what, tonight is bonus night, amen, buy one, get one free, you guys, amen, you know, you don't even need a coupon. So Galatians chapter 6, I want to bless you, I want to bless you tonight, Galatians 6, and uh, I'm going to the New King James, Galatians 6 and the New King James so, first of all, Galatians 6, 7, we read this this morning several times. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And we covered that this morning. You reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. And I know that we looked at some different areas and challenged you as to where, um, hey, are you? what seeds are you sowing at work? What seeds are you sowing with your finances? What seeds are you sowing with your love walk? What seeds are you sowing here and there? But there's also just a really incredible key here in verse 8 that I want to very quickly read and it says for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption now every choice we make again it comes down to seed time and harvest and so I really want you to realize that there are some things that we do that it's it's sowing seeds unto the flesh there's a lot of things that we do in life that may not necessarily be bad I mean I could skip church you know on any given day or night and sit home and watch TV I could you know I could watch uh, you know whatever it is you watch you know Bonanza I watch old shows so <laughs> Little House on the Prairie whatever good stuff good stuff you know but praise God but it, it does not uh, it doesn't deliver me from things it doesn't it doesn't have any power to it or worse than that we could you know uh, do many other things that are sowing to the flesh. Well, what I'm getting at is whenever the enemy attacks and I need a harvest of righteousness, if I've only been sowing seeds to the flesh, what's going to come out of me? What harvest am I going to reap? Whenever sickness attacks me and all I've been doing is watching a bunch of stupid movies for the last four weeks and I haven't cracked open my Bible, what harvest spiritually do I have coming out of me? Do I have the word of God firing out of me like the sword of the spirit? Or am I going to think of, oh gosh, you know, what would, so, what, what would my favorite actor do in this situation? What I'm getting at is this. He who sows to the flesh, if that's all you're feeding, if that's all the seed that you're doing is sowing to the flesh, whatever makes the flesh comfortable, you will of the flesh reap 
corruption because you reap what you sow. What seeds are you sowing spiritually? Are you only feeding things uh, to the flesh? But look at the last part of this verse. It's really good. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so I'm just challenging you to, tonight. Just as a little added bonus from this morning, you reap what you sow in every area, and I would encourage you, on a night like tonight, you are sowing some good spiritual seed. You're making a good spiritual decision. You sacrifice to come out again and hear the word of God all over again. You will, of the Spirit, reap life everlasting. When the enemy attacks this week, when the devil comes and tries to pull something on you, you've planted some good seeds already. You you sowed seeds of the Spirit, and you will reap good spiritual seed just off of stuff like this. Does that make any sense? We could go on. I mean, I could go on and on on that topic, but it's very important that uh, you are sowing the right spiritual seed and making the right spiritual decisions. And sometimes it's a sacrifice. The Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise. Well, what does that mean? It means sometimes I don't feel like praising God, but I sacrifice and I do it anyway, even when I don't feel like it. There's a sacrifice of giving. There's a sacrifice of my time to spend time in the word, even when I don't feel like it. I press in anyway. And guess what? God honors that sacrifice, and when the battle comes, I'm prepared, and I've got a good spiritual harvest coming my way. Can I get an amen tonight? All right, very good. Well, that's all I'm going to say on that topic for today. The title of tonight's real sermon, okay, here's the real one for tonight. The title of tonight's sermon is A Cup of Encouragement. A Cup of Encouragement. And what I want to do tonight is just show you several encouraging uh, scriptures that really mean a lot to me. And they're mainly in the book of Isaiah. I really love the book of Isaiah, and just, a, I don't know, a few years ago, I just spent a whole summer, and I just read the book of Isaiah several times, and I mean, I just, every time I saw things, and highlighted things, and underlined things, and got so much out of it, and so, I, I've got a lot of scripture in my heart from the book of Isaiah, and we're going to mainly focus there tonight, but... King Solomon said something pretty profound. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. And I know a lot of times that's hard for us to imagine in this technological age because it seems like there's a lot of really new stuff, right? I mean, I'm just thinking back into my lifetime. Uh, about a year ago, I volunteered to help out the youth group one night, and I'm talking to the kids, and I mean, I don't know why, but the topic came around to how old I am. And so one of the kids literally raised their hand, and they're like, what was it she asked me, uh, which iPad device? Anyway, she's, she said something like, you probably remember when iPads, like, the first iPad actually came out, don't you? And I'm like, wasn't that just like a couple of years ago? <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course I remember that. I mean, it's still a new thing to me. Oh, no, it was the Apple Watch. It was Yeah, she's like, you remember when the Apple Watch came out, don't you? I'm like, didn't that just happen? But anyway, there, you know, it seems like so much new stuff, and it seems like there's lots of new stuff under the sun. But Solomon was right. All of the tricks and strategies of the devil are the same stuff that he's always used and may just be in a different package. He's always tried to cause people to lust. He's always tried to cause people to steal. And and it's just in this 
electronic age, they can do it now from the comfort of their own phone and not have to actually go out and sin. The sin just comes to them, right? And so that's kind of a dangerous spot to be in. But really, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. He's doing what he's always done. And one of the main things that he's always done is bring discouragement and anxiety and stress and depression and a burden upon the backs of God's people. Now, here's the deal. We don't have to actually put up with that. Uh, the truthfully, though, so many Christians don't know their authority in the name of Jesus Christ that they do just put up with it. The devil comes and plants thoughts into their mind, and they just sit there and dwell on it. Yeah, it's probably right. Nobody likes me. Nobody, blah, 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 blah. And it's all thoughts from the devil. And somebody that doesn't know their authority in Christ, they'll just sit there and listen to the devil. They'll sit there, and they'll dwell on these feelings for so long that after a while, you just started off just believing a little lie. Next thing you know, you are depressed, you're down, you're out, you are stressed to the max. And all of it is because really we, we, we didn't stand up and use the name of Jesus. James 4 says that if we would submit ourselves to God, we could resist the devil and he will flee. And, of course, Luke 10:18 says that we've been given authority over all the works of the devil. Jesus said, in my name, you can go and cast out devils. You could speak with the new tongues. You could lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And we just sang about the name of Jesus. There is a tremendous, unlimited supply of power in the name of Jesus. And there's no reason for Christians to be so discouraged and down. Amen? And so if you've been feeling discouraged and down and whatever else right now, it's just one of the devil's old tricks that he's trying to do to you. But listen, I want to encourage you tonight and show you some good things from the word of God. And you need to know that it doesn't have to be that way. All right. So let's pray. And we're going to get right into the book of Isaiah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have a a church to come and worship you in, Lord, that we have a, a family to surround us and be with us and, and help us when we need it, God, and we can help them when they need it. And, Lord, I pray tonight that as we open up our Bibles and we study your holy written word in the name of Jesus, that your word would become alive to us, Lord. It would illuminate our hearts and our minds, and we thank you, Lord, that if we're here tonight and we've been going through something, we thank you that tonight we are encouraged, we are built up, and we are ready for the day ahead and the week ahead, and Lord, we just love you, and we thank you and praise you for all of it. In Jesus' name, can somebody say amen? Let's look tonight at Isaiah chapter 25. Woo! (laughs) Woo! All right, Isaiah 25. Come on, somebody. Isaiah 25. And, oh, here it is. There it is. It's contagious. All right. You've got the woo-woos. I don't know what that means, but Isaiah 25, and we're going to look here at verse 9, and this is high desert word center. So we seem to have this obsession with the word of God where we love it and we can't get enough of it. And so, you know, hey, we get excited when it's time to open up our Bibles. But Isaiah 25, and we're going to look here at verse 9, and this is just kind of the opening verse, and we're going to get into some things. Isaiah 25 and verse 9, it says, 
in that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Amen. And I got to say tonight that I'm going to proclaim that, that this is my God. This is our God. We have trusted in him and he has saved us. He always comes through every single time. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. And so I'm telling you right now tonight, you know this. Maybe you're just being reminded, but you know this, that our God is a God who saves. And when we trust in him, we're going to rejoice in the salvation that he brings. I love that verse. And so we're going to talk about uh, three different areas tonight, three different uh, things I want to encourage you with from the word of God, mainly from the book of Isaiah here. But this is all straight Biblical truth. I'm not adding to this. I'm not taking away from it. I'm just sharing God's word tonight. So number one is this. Number one, you need to know that we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Amen. Now, that is part of our Barstow Faith Confession that we do, but that's that's straight scripture. It's not something that we made up. Uh, we're not that smart. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I could have thought for years and never come up with something as awesome as that. That's straight scripture. So you're in Isaiah 25. Let's flip over to chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26, and right here at verse 1, you need to know that we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. So here it kind of starts off as the last verse does. Isaiah 26, verse 1. In that day, well, I say, hey, this is that day. Amen. In that day, everyone in the land of Judah or everyone in the land of Barstow, we're very similar. Everyone in the land of Barstow will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. This is really good news. Now, I mean, it would be nice to just have your own personal bodyguard, right? You know, like, hey, I'm surrounded. I've got my guy here. You don't want to mess with me, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's a good enough thing. But think about this. You, on every single side, are not surrounded by some big bodyguard or some, some security agency or some force in this world. On every side around me, I am surrounded by a wall. And it's the wall of God's salvation. You mean you could try to come at me from the left? The wall's right there. You could try to come at me from the right? The wall's right there. You could try to come at me from in front? I am surrounded on every single side by the walls of God's salvation. That's really good news in 2021 because there's a lot of dangers out there that I didn't even know existed. There's a lot of things out there that two years ago I'm like, no, you're making that up. That would never happen in America. That would never happen. in the, But it has happened. And guess what? We have been surrounded on every single side this entire time because we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. And I'm not turning there tonight, but you could write it down in Second Kings chapter 6. We've got an incredible story of the prophet Elisha. Uh, him and his servant, they have ticked off the king of Aram because they're trying to attack the people of Israel. And every single time that they're going to make an attack on Israel, 
the prophet tells the leaders, hey, they're coming in from the West Valley. You guys get over there. And Israel's always one step ahead. Well, somebody tells the, tells the, uh, the king of Aram, like, hey, this is how Israel always knows what your next move is. There's this prophet up there in the mountain, and he always tells them what your next step is. Just kill him, and you're done. And so all the armies start coming up the mountain, and they're going to kill Elisha the prophet and his servant, and they're going to just totally take care of their problem. And so the armies are approaching, and his servant comes in, and he's like, Elisha, oh my gosh, we're, we're surrounded on every side, and I don't know what we're going to do, but they're coming for us. And Elisha prays this prayer. He's like, oh my gosh, you need to know, there's more on our side than there is on their side. And and the, the servant's like, well, by my count, there's two of us and about 100,000 of them. So I don't know what's going on here, but we are outnumbered. We are out. We're surrounded. And this guy is just losing it. And Elisha prays, oh, Lord, would you open his eyes for just one minute? Now, we've got our physical eyes that are open. I, I see you. But then we also have what is spiritually referred to as maybe the eyes of our heart or our spiritual eyes. And if if you could just for one minute have those spiritual eyes open and look around, you would be shocked at what you see. And in this moment, God grants the servant for just a minute. He opens his eyes. And when he looks around, what does he see? He's like, oh, my gosh. He sees he sees angel armies, the Lord of hosts. He sees the armies of heaven surrounding them and protecting them. He says, I see, I see chariots of fire. I see swords of fire. And he sees the heavenly army, which is a real thing. It is not made up. It is real. And he sees it for just a minute. And he's like, whoa, there's more for us than there is against us. And I want to tell you tonight, you're surrounded all right. But it's by the walls of God's salvation. It's by the Lord of hosts. It's by the armies of heaven. There's more for you than there is against you tonight. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen? You can send anything again. But God is for us, and we are surrounded on all sides. But it's by the walls of God's salvation. So, what are the walls of God's salvation? What does that even mean? Because usually when we think of salvation, most people are like, yes, I've got salvation. I'm going to heaven. And that is that is the big, big piece of salvation, yes. But salvation does not only mean a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? There's more to salvation than simply just avoiding hell and going to heaven. Salvation is this Greek word soteria, and it means deliverance. It means preservation. It means safety. And it does mean this salvation. And so deliverance, you've been delivered from whatever's trying to hold you back in life. That's part of your salvation package. Deliverance. If there's been an addiction, if there's been a bondage, if there's been a, a, a slavery to fear, if there's been uh, an oppression of the devil with fear and anxiety and depression and stress, thank God you have salvation and there is deliverance from things like this. You don't have to live like that. You've got 
the walls of God's salvation. It means preservation. God's going to preserve you, or in other words, he's going to take care of you forever. And this brings the joy of the Lord when I know that, hey, God's taken care of me. I don't have to lay awake and I need more worrying about money. I mean, I'm following God. Hey, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Can I get an amen? Come on. God is going to take care of that situation. I don't have to worry about it. The scripture tells us in Psalm 121 that he who watches over Israel, or that's you, never sleeps nor slumbers. If God's staying up all night, I might as well, we don't know, both of us need to. I'll just let him stay up and I'll go to sleep and I'll sleep just fine. Thank you. Amen. Because salvation is a preservation. He will provide and he will take care of our every need forever in heaven and now on earth right now. And so thank God because of the preservation aspect, I can have the joy of the Lord. I can have the peace of of God because I know that, hey, God's got this. It's not on me. And of course, this salvation, it means safety. We can't expect God to protect us. Who, who in here, you trust God for your safety and your protection? I mean, hey, again, there's wild times out there right now. I trust God to be my safety and God to be my protection. I trust God to be my healer. Amen. I trust God to be my healer. It's not all on me. It's not all on the doctor. I'm trusting God. And thank you, Jesus. Of course, part of that salvation is I am going to heaven someday. And you can't talk me out of that. Heaven is real. And I am going there. And I'm excited to be going there. Amen. And so we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. That should be good encouragement to you tonight. You are not alone. There's more for you than there is against you. And those that are on your side are a lot bigger and better and more powerful than those who are against you. Amen? So number two, I want to tell you this, that God will keep you in perfect peace. And I love this verse. God will keep you in perfect peace. And if there's one thing I value in life, I value the peace of God. I love the peace of God. And, you know, uh, the, the world has their own definition of peace, but it's not God's definition. And right here, I'm going to show you Isaiah 26, verse 3. You're already in Isaiah 26, so hey, just look here at verse 3. Look at this. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace. Can you say perfect peace? Perfect peace. All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And, man, I, I just love that perfect peace. So that tells me there must be some sort of counterfeit peace, some less than perfect peace, some false sense of peace. And people all over this world, man, that they're searching for peace. And and they think that, well, man, if I just finally had enough money, I'd, I'd finally have some peace. But the problem is peace doesn't come from money. Or, well, man, if I just finally had the girlfriend I wanted or I finally had, you know, the person I wanted, if I finally, you know, did this or that or had this job or blah, 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 tell you what, then I'd have peace. If you're always searching for that peace in the next, it's fake and it's false and it's not the real deal. It says he will keep in 
perfect peace. Who? All who trust in him and all whose thoughts are fixed on him. Well, that sounds like I don't have that perfect peace. Well, there's a couple of reasons why you don't have perfect peace. One would be uh, it's for all who trust in him. Okay, and again, I had to say this Wednesday, we're not, you know, putting anybody down, but just you got to be honest with yourself. Are you really trusting God or do you just say it with your words, but in your heart, you don't really trust him? Nahum 1.7 says that the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. And so God knows if we're being real or if we're just being fake. And so if we don't have perfect peace, you know, it can mean a couple of things. One would be that we're not actually trusting in him. And the other would be that our thoughts are not fixed on him. And so I, I say this a lot, but I, I mean, I, I remember this one guy in particular. I was telling him, like, he's like, man, I just don't have no peace. And I'm like, well, I showed him this scripture. He's like, well, I don't get it because I do that. And I, yet I don't have perfect peace. And I'm like, you're a liar. No way. No way. There's no way that your thoughts are fixed on him and you don't have perfect peace. Either that or the word or, or God's word may be a lie. Either way. But I'm going to have to choose you. Because it tells us right here that if our thoughts are fixed on him, we'll have perfect peace. And I love that. And, I, and I'll be honest. The times in my life that I don't have perfect peace, my thoughts are fixed on the problem. They're not fixed on him. Every single time. But even though I may go through difficult times, if my thoughts the whole time are not focused on the trouble, but my thoughts are fixed on the word of God, it's incredible that even though there's forces trying to come at me, I've still got the peace of God. But, you know, think about Peter when he was walking on the water back then. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank because his thoughts and his attention was not focused on Jesus. As long as my thoughts and my attention is focused on Jesus and on the word of God, I've got perfect peace. But when I take it off of Jesus and his word and I put my my thoughts and my focus on the problems, I do not have perfect peace. I've got anxiety. I've got spazzing out. I've got stress. I've got issues. But if I am fixed on Jesus, I have perfect peace. And I love that. And, you know, there's this quote that I always use, but peace does not consist in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. Peace does not, you know, because this world says, yeah, we're at peace. We're not at war with anyone right now. No one's trying to get it, you know. So, yeah, it, it's a peace time right now. That's not what peace means. Peace doesn't consist just in the absence of danger, but it consists in the presence of God. And so I know that you could be in the middle of a terrible place, a war zone, but if you're in the presence of God, you still have peace. Or you could be right here sitting on your couch in the good old United States of America with no imminent danger around you, but be tortured on the inside and have no peace whatsoever. Peace doesn't come just because there's no danger around. Peace comes because you're in the presence of God. And the good news is I can get into the presence of God anywhere that I'm at. Anywhere. Because I can come boldly into the throne of grace and obtain favor and mercy in my time of need. Thank you, Jesus. And so... What we're talking about is you can have absolutely perfect peace, but it comes from being in the presence of God. It comes from having your thoughts 
fixed on him. And so it doesn't come from just a bunch of more stuff and a bunch of more money. That's false. I was remembering when we went down to Nicaragua a few years ago, and uh, and it just it always strikes me because we're always like, man, people are different, you know. These people are different from these people, and these these this race is different than this race, and these people. And I'm like, everywhere I've been in the world, I I encounter the same problems. I spent time in Russia, and they had the same problems that we have in America. You know, I've spent time in Mexico and Nicaragua and, and other places, and and every time I go and I preach and I I talk to people in these other countries, they're all battling the same stuff we are. Maybe they've got, and true, they've got less than us usually, but they're all battling anxiety. They're all battling discouragement. They're all worried about their kids. They're all, and I remember specifically in Nicaragua, we went one day just way out into the jungle. Remember, remember this, Katie Brady and Dad? We, we just hiked way out there into the jungle, and we just started going from Basically hut to hut. We're talking about a grass roof, a dirt floor, and nothing else. And we're going, and we're like, can we pray for you? And and, and what what would you need prayer for? And like, I just feel so discouraged. I feel so down. I feel so helpless and hopeless. And I just want my kids to have a good life. And I just want my marriage to work. And And as I'm praying for these people, I'm like, wait a minute. That's the exact same prayer request I get in Barstow. That's the exact same needs and problems that the people in Russia were talking about when I was there. That's the exact same stresses and issues and prayer requests that I get everywhere that I go. And so that tells me right away that the answer to your troubles is not more money. It's more Jesus. It's more Bible. It's more presence of God. And I was thinking we were... um. Last week, Katie and I, this is, this is just a real eye-opener to me, man. It was, we were in Plano, Texas, right? And, uh, we were at a pastor's conference with Gerald Brooks and, and it was incredible. One night we were just driving around and it's, it's a very nice area. And, and so we drive into this neighborhood and, and it's not even gated. We just drive in and they are the largest houses I've ever seen in my life. House after house after, just mansions. And we took pictures and videos, and we're like, I've never, and I'm not talking, we looked it up on Zillow, okay? The smallest houses in there were eight, 9,000 square feet, all the way up to 14,000 square feet in this neighborhood. I'm like, who needs that? And, and you know, it's a, it's a five-bedroom, seven bathrooms. Why do you, who would need seven bathrooms? Are you just, I mean, what's going on there? I don't even want to know why we would need that. And so we're seeing the prices, and this sold in 2019 for $5 million. I'm like, this is crazy. So this is right behind the church we were at, and the pastor, Gerald Brooks, gets up, and he's like, you know what? What would, you know, I know all of you guys have kind of seen a lot of the, the stuff around here. And he said, if you want to make money in Plano, you know what you do? You buy a little plot of land and you open up a self-storage facility. And we're like, what? And he he said, yeah, believe it or not, that guy in that 14,000 square foot house, he's searching for so much peace and so much fulfillment in life. He's buying as much, hoarding as much, being basically as selfish as he can. So much! That 14,000 square feet isn't even enough to hold all the stuff that he's trying to accumulate to fill the hole in his heart. He's got to go out and get a giant storage unit just to put more stuff in. 
Then he doesn't want anybody around him, so he rents the storage unit on either side of him, so no one else's stuff is around him. Then he pays for air conditioning in there, so his stuff can be air conditioned. And I'm like, you know, really, that's not something that really, you know, my mind comprehends, but how much do you have to have that a 14, 15,000 square foot house isn't enough, and you've just got to keep gathering and hoarding and accumulating and getting and having more stuff? When is it enough? Jesus, he's enough. He's, you know, praise God. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. We're all, that's great. You need to have nice things, beautiful, wonderful. But that's not where I get my fulfillment. That's not where I get my peace. That's not where I get my identity and my worth. It comes from Jesus. And so the same people, and he, and he said that, man, these people, if you ask them, hey, they're, they're hurt. They've got anxiety. They've got stress. The same people in Nicaragua that make about $5 a day are having the exact same troubles that the guy that's making, you know, $5 million a year is having. Why? Because money isn't the answer. The only answer is the peace of God coming through Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is to encourage you because who in here has found Jesus? You've got Jesus, amen? You're keeping your thoughts fixed on him, and that is really good news. You trust in him, so he has promised you perfect peace. Look at John chapter 14. We'll come back to Isaiah. Don't worry. He's still going to be there. He ain't going nowhere. John chapter 14. John 14. We having a good time tonight? Amen. I'm just here to encourage, just giving you a little cup of encouragement, amen? John chapter 14. We're going to look at something that Jesus said here. John 14, and we'll be in verse 27, John 14, verse 27, but I am so grateful that I have Jesus, amen? I mean, there, there's, sure, there's other things in the world, that other things I'd like to get, but praise God, I've got Jesus. What, what fulfillment, what peace because of him. And so John 14, look right here. At verse 27, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift. Oh, good, Jesus. You're leaving us with an Xbox? Hey, come on. Jesus, you got us a Netflix. No, 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 no. I, I am leaving you with a gift. Well, what gift could he leave us? He's leaving us with peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. What good news that Jesus left us with a gift. Peace for our minds and peace for our hearts. And if you know what mind is, that's the soul, okay? And so he's left us with peace for our soul and peace in our heart, which is our spirit. Peace of mind and heart. Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7 says that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so there's something to this New Testament promise of peace that it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. God will keep you in perfect peace. And he said, it's a gift the world can't give. Too many people are looking for peace in all the wrong places. They're looking to get, they're trying to get something from the world that the world doesn't even have to give to you. You can't order peace from the world. They don't have it to serve to you. It's only found in Jesus. And you guys know this. I I get that. But what I'm doing is 
giving you encouragement that if you're going through something right now, you've got something that the rest of this world would love to have. You've got the peace of God. So how are you going to keep that? You're going to trust in him and you're going to keep your thoughts fixed on him. And the only way to do that is to pay more attention to the Bible than you do your phone. The only way to do that is to pay more attention to God's word and God's promises than you do the news and the politics and the money and all this other stuff. You've got to keep your thoughts fixed on him. All that other stuff, it'll mess you up. But the word of God, it will build you up and keep you in perfect peace. Can I get an amen? All right, number three. Here we go. Number three. I love this. For those who are righteous... The way is not steep and rough. Well, I always heard that life's a struggle and the struggle's real. Well, maybe you heard that, but the scripture tells us that for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. And we know and we acknowledge that, yeah, there's, there's, there's troubles in life. There's, there's, there's things that come against us. But I also know this, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. The weapon, yeah, it it does get formed sometimes, and it does come at me, but it will not prosper. And so for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. Look at Isaiah 26 and verse 7. Isaiah 26 and verse 7. So if if you haven't caught on, Isaiah 26 is a great chapter for you to read and study and receive from. Isaiah 26 and verse 7. Isaiah 26 and verse 7. And every, like I said, everything that we're, every point tonight that we're putting out there is simply scripture verbatim. We're not adding or stretching it. We're just reading the Bible tonight. Isaiah 26 and verse 7. It says, but for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. You are a God who does what is right and you smooth out the path ahead of them. You smooth out the path ahead of them. Now, notice that the the qualifier here, because as Dad said earlier, there's qualifications, right? There's conditions on so many of these promises. It says this is for those who are righteous. Is there anybody here tonight that you're righteous? Don't be ashamed to raise your hand. You are righteous. The New Testament says in 2 Corinthians 5 that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when I say I'm righteous, I'm not self-righteous. I'm not righteous because of me. I'm righteous because of Jesus. And so I don't need to go around saying I'm so unrighteous. I'm so blah, blah, blah. And I'm and just put down on myself all the time. No, I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's also holiness, which, you know, some of us could work on a little bit, but praise God. That's, hey, hey, you've been made righteous because of what Jesus did, and you've been made holy by you choosing to live a sanctified life, okay? And so the holiness angle we can work on, but the righteousness, I don't have to work on righteousness. Jesus made me righteous because of what he did. And so for those who are righteous, who in here, you can say that I'm a righteous person. I'm not self-righteous. This isn't a trick. I need to see more hands on this. If, who's righteous in here? Because I'm going to do an altar call, and if you're not saved, I'm going to get you saved tonight. We're going to go Billy Graham, and we're just going to come at you. All right. You are righteous if you're saved. Now, if you're not saved, then yes, don't raise your hand. You're not righteous. All right. So, but for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. Why? For you are a God who does what is right, and you smooth out the path 
ahead of them. And so, yeah, we all face some difficulties. There's no denying that. But I've got a God who smooths out the path ahead of me. He smooths out the path. And, you know, um, that doesn't say that he smooths out the path for everyone. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that God is not smoothing out their path. They're going down a whole path that he didn't call them to go down. They're going down a path of destruction. In fact, uh, Jesus said that that the path of destruction is broad. And that's where the majority of people are headed. But the way to eternal life, it's narrow. Narrow is the way to salvation and righteousness. And he said, few there be that find it. But praise God. We're in here. We're in those few that have found the path to righteousness. And for those who are righteous, that way is not steep and rough. And so, again, there's this phrase we hear all the time. Yeah, man, it's it's, it's bad right now. The struggle is real. Like, okay, well, so is Jesus. So what about that? The word of God's real. So what about that? Yeah, there's a struggle out there. Who cares? When you focus on the struggle, it gets more and more real. But when you focus on the word of God, it gets more and more real. Your focus needs to be on the word of God. And so the struggle may be real, but God's grace is enough to get past the struggle. One more verse tonight, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. We got time for one more? Amen. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. Amen. We're talking about the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. And he was facing a difficulty. And uh, and he called it a thorn in the flesh. And hey, we've known some people that are a thorn in the flesh. Huh? Come on. You guys know them? Are you one of them? 2 Corinthians 12. In verse 9, amen, 2 Corinthians 12, and verse 9, now check this out, so he's talking to God about this thorn of the flesh, in verse 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness, So Paul says, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And so he says, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. So what is grace? Well, that's about as broad a topic as there is in Scripture. That's a deep theological discussion to have right now, but to just... Boil it all down to the most basic elementary definition and explanation of what grace is. It is God's unearned favor or help. So I'm saved by grace. And as Ephesians says, it's the gift of God. It's it's a gift. It's not, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't brag about, hey, I'm saved. Yeah, hey, and look how good I am. Look what I did. I'm getting me to heaven. No, 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 no. You're not going to heaven because of how much you earned or how good you are. You're going to heaven by the grace of God. You did not deserve it, but Jesus came in and bought you back from the kingdom of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. And so we're going to heaven by the grace of God, the undeserved 
favor, the undeserved help of God. And so right here, the Lord tells Paul, my grace is all you need. What's he saying? My, 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 my undeserved, unearned help is all you need. And so, yes, when I'm in a situation, I'm relying on the grace of God, because if I've got to uh, rely on just how great and awesome I've been to get a, buy a little bit of help from Jesus, then that could be scary. Uh, but listen, it's the grace of God. It's all you need. In fact, it's, it's interesting here that Paul says, so uh, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. So the power of Christ can work through me because God said my power works best in weakness. So what does that mean? Basically, God's telling Paul, when you quit relying on your own strength and admit you can't do it on your own, my strength and my grace will kick into action. And that's all you need. That's what he's talking about. And so when Paul said, hey, you know what? I'm glad to admit I can't do it on my own. I'm glad to rely on. On Jesus. Some people are like, man, you know, that, that whole faith thing, that's just a crutch. I'm like, man, it is so much more than that. It's a stretcher. It's an ambulance carrying me through life. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, it's more than a crutch. It's because I gladly admit that I am not strong enough on my own. Well, man, just hang in there and be strong. You gotta be strong. Yeah, you gotta be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Yes, but I'm not relying on my strength. I'm relying on his strength. And so, yes, his grace works best when I admit it. You know what? I need you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. And his grace is all that I need. And he will smooth out the path. Speaking of path, I said that that was my last verse. I was, it was a joke. I've got one more verse. Proverbs 3. Pro- one more. Bonus. It's bonus night. You came to church. A lot of people are like, hey, we're going to do something else. You came tonight, so you get bonus, all right? You get you get the good stuff. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. A lot of you know this, but I'm going to tell you again anyway. Some of you don't know this, and you should know it. you got to know this. This is just, this is absolute fundamental. you got to know Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Because we're talking about the Lord smoothing out the path ahead of you, for those who are righteous anyway. Proverbs 3. Verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Does it say trust him with all your mind? No, it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because if you're trusting him just with your mind, you're going to run into things that you don't understand. And then you will elevate your understanding above him. So it says trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And don't you know that if he's directing your paths, it's going to be a lot smoother than you calling the shots. It's going to be a lot smoother than you just trying to make your way in this world and forge your way through the mountain. No, when he is calling the shots, when you are relying on him, trusting in him, and not leaning on your own understanding, 
He will direct your paths. And so, what is it we're saying tonight? Number one, you're surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. He is a wall, a fortress, a refuge, a shelter. He is all of that on every single side of you. And of course, we're also telling you tonight that he will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your thoughts fixed on him. And finally, we're telling you that for those who are righteous, the way is not steep and rough. You've got some promises from God. And I want you to be encouraged that if we're keeping our attention on him and leaning on him, we are going to be totally fine. And we're going to be better than fine. We're going to be victorious and blessed. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's stand up together tonight. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.